0: I think we potentially could dive into because we were talking about it in our earlier in our group chat as well is just the founder psychology when it comes to considering do you continue to fundraise or do you look at an acquisition like what goes into a decision like that so unpacking that because I know a few people talked about that on the chat on the call today
1: yeah let's start there and then we can go into the Ohio thing and then the few topics I got yeah so yeah what are your thoughts on there because you're going through your own process right now you've gone through the fundraising process you've actually raised the most out of all of us out of our founder group that we do have and so you've been on many different sides of the table and i even think early on correct me if i'm wrong early on y'all got approached by some type of acquisition or something like that or a conversation came up so you, yeah. you've you been through that conversation at least before so yeah i'm curious to get your perspective since you've seen it from different angles
0: yeah not 100 percent. i think what i've learned is there are times when that decision is going to pop up proactively and allow you to be a lot more thoughtful and be prepared. And there are going to be times where like that decision is going to be more of a reactionary kind of move due to the circumstances that you're in. The latter is the one that you do not want to be in. And I've experienced both, as you've mentioned, and I think just kind of through this recent process where, you know, We were more in a position of weakness and there's a lot of founders going through that right now where cash may be low and the fundraising environment is not the best and you really at the end of the day it's more of a move at least from my perspective to be considerate of your investors but also your team because at the end of the day yes you want to try to get your investors a return or at least their money back that that is I, that is something good. I wouldn't necessarily consider that like a, the bare minimum, but at the bare minimum, you want to land your team in a good place because I think Rodney, you were telling a story a while back about the financial implications. Some of the people on your team went through, especially when hard times like the war caused them to go through that. Yeah, This is very similar. This is economic war, a recession, yeah. and yeah. people are getting laid off and finding the job in tech is becoming even harder. And so I personally feel like. It can easily look at, be seen as like, a, although you're in a position of weakness, a bad move because hope you should avoid avoided being, getting there, but it can also be a blessing in disguise because if really what you believed in can continue to grow somewhere else, why not explore that? And so that's just like my, my, my high level perspective in that, but there's a lot of game I can give throughout that whole process because how you approach these companies or how these companies approach you. They're not apple to apples, depending on if they're private equity or like more venture tech base and things of that nature. But I'm curious to hear y'all perspectives.
1: So first let's go back for, let's go back for a second. So we're talking about yep. earlier today, we had a conversation with a group of friends. We have a founder chat with a group of founders that we know. And we were talking about if, you know, what path you should go down, if you need to sit your company, whether that's shut it down because it's just not working out and maybe return some of the capital you have back to investors or whether it's seek a pure acquisition where the team isn't associated to the company after it's, it's purchased or an acquihire hire when now the team does join that new company that just purchased it. So we were just talking about like just different outcomes that founders have to consider when when a company isn't necessarily working out the way that it was expected. So I just wanted to give that context as we, as we set the stage. But well, go ahead, Rodney, I think you have some thoughts.
2: Yeah, for sure. One, Rylan, for sure. You definitely want to be in a proactive position as opposed to a reactive position, but the reality is, is that a lot of times that's not the case. A lot of times when you do get those proactive acquisition offers, et cetera, you're actually in a good place where you think you have a lot of confidence in the business. And so what I find is that most founders, even founders, second time founders, third time founders will still not really take those proactive maybe acquisition offers or, or take them as serious until inevitably down the road, there's some significant challenges or obstacles. In which case those, those alternatives start looking better as they start looking better because you're not, you're not as confident now and really stuff comes down to the confidence. Like it's like a game of confidence. Confidence um, and belief. Exactly. Exactly. And when you have less confidence because it becomes more difficult for you to, to do well. And that's why like, for example, when you start you're in the fundraising process, you start getting your first few checks in the door then, you know, you naturally just start acting with more confidence. You, most people may not notice that, but you'll just naturally have a different air to you. And that will actually lead you to getting more. So a lot of times this confidence builds, it builds and builds, right? And But at the same time, there it is a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And to be aware of when their confidence is building and building, making sure you're still staying at a certain mindfulness of where of where things are actually at. Another thing I'll say is I haven't had to do like an hire or anything like that or just an acquisition or had to consider that yet however i've seen that so many places and how you brought up just employees making sure your team is straight i think that's one of the biggest things for me a lot of times for example i've seen uh, quite a few companies where a founder might get like a nice run and maybe they've raised hundreds of millions or whatever and they get an offer that they took it maybe one they would come on with a lot, but also too, their early employees will come out with a lot. And, you know, what oftentimes founders will do, and I, there's no judgment here, is that they'll hedge their bets, right? And the thing is that when you do that, you know, that action alone is a signal of low confidence, like it's, it's but it's understandable why you do it, you know what I'm saying? Because you would want to take some security today as opposed to risking it later. And so then later... For example, if this company doesn't do well, they may start looking at acquisitions and whatnot. But a lot of times, the only person that ends up rich is, is the, the CEO or the founder. And then the team that was there, they just become people who have worthless stock options. And then also they become victims of, lay- of layoffs. And um, in, in those cases, look back in hindsight and you say, damn, yeah, the an earlier decision to sell would have not only been good for a founder, but it also would have been good for just more people. And so it's like an act of. Can you, you, can you
0: unpack those two things? Cause I think those are two points that people really need to understand. So the first one being why their stock options would potentially be worthless and the leaders of the company are really the ones only making money. And then the second one being the layoffs, because that's a very good point where these companies that are usually acquired, if, that acquiring company is going through bad times, it is usually LIFO, last in, first out type of approach. And
2: so I'm curious if you could provide any insights into it. I can for sure. So when it comes to stock options, it's interesting when you think about those two concepts or two ideas, they're interlinked as far as like stock options and layoffs. A lot of times an employee that has worked at least past the first year cliff, will be incentivized to continue to stay to get whatever perceived value that stock, those stock options have, right? Because when you first get your your compensation package or your your employment letter or your offer letter, typically speaking, there's a dollar value attached to the stock options, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're worth that much. It's just a dollar value that's attached. And in a lot of cases, even if you were to buy those stock options once you started earning them, you wouldn't be able to sell them on the secondary, which is where you would make your money. And so the thing about layoffs is a lot of times the people are getting laid off, happens to also be the people who actually believed in the stock a lot. And that's actually like the, some of the worst part about it is that if some of these people, if they thought that the stock options were not gonna be worth it, they probably wouldn't have stayed as long worked in and never got laid off. So it's like they lose twice. And, and I think everybody doesn't see it that way, but that's what happens. And so it's a very ruthless game in, in that way. And like for me, or like for me and our team at SAFE and how we go about, and how we like to think about things is that I think the security of our team is the most important. And it starts with me as the founder because I, I started it. And so I have to feel secure. And then when I feel secure, I can help other people feel secure, et cetera. And it trickles all the way down, right? But if I only focus on myself, then basically the company's at risk, my employees are at risk, my stakeholders are at risk, and I'm the only one basically that, that that has gained there. So it's a very manipulative game you play. And so it's an alternative game where, you know, you make sure you're good, you take care of yourself. But then I noticed that when you take care of yourself and make sure that you're good, it's easier for you to do that for other people on your team, et cetera. And for example, being able to make sure that, for example, I have, I started paying for a mental health or like for mental health or a health benefit. And I was the only employee at SAFE at that time. And there's, but when I had another employee, I was like, I had this benefit. Why not offer it to my employees? And you can see what, where I'm going here, which is just like, there are things you can do to just be more empathetic and whatnot. But yeah, there, those are some of the things that I saw that's linked to that, but I kind of got a little bit off topic, but yeah. No, I want just-
0: to, I want to expand on a few things that you said, okay. because when you talk about, this is a game that you essentially have to manipulate 100%. And while the game is the same for rather if you're a founder, an employee, I would even say an investor, it's almost like the element, the elephant and the three men. Like they were all touching the elephant, but one had the tail and thought it was something different. Somebody had the leg and they thought it was different. Everybody has a different approach. But I think fundamentally like what I've learned now having the opportunity to go through essentially what the end of this looks like because we have to be very real this is just my perspective going through this experience now nobody out there is out there to fucking change the world as much as people want to say that no this is a game of arbitrage and it is fundamentally economics that's what we're playing and the thing about economics is it's a game of risk and reward and i saw that very raw at the end of this process Going back to, I think this was something Dre was hitting on earlier, but like this idea of incentives, like what is incentivizing people? I'm telling you right now, when shit hit the fan and you are now talking at the transaction level, so we talking a dollar amount. Oh, you're going to see how considerate somebody is a hundred percent. And then you go, then you're going to see, say, for example, like your <laughs> investors and things of like that, you're going to see how considerate they are too. Because what Dre said is so true. Everybody is self-preserving, trying to protect themselves. Yes. So when we start having these conversations, guess what? Man, investors just care about how much money. Luckily, yeah. one of our investors had mentioned, man, make sure y'all read y'all contracts. I, every founder out there, read y'all contracts. I know y'all don't all always be reading, but read them. It wasn't until we read point B in this damn thing that... I realize all our, regardless of what money we would have made, all of that would have been going to investors. So now think about the Once again, if economics is just psychology of value exchange, the value had the risk and reward has changed. I no longer see no incentive or reward to get this deal done. So risk is increasing somewhere. And that is just one of the psychological battles that I feel like as we go through this process, founders, you hopefully you have the opportunity to experience and you're able Definitely, I would play that game a lot differently now that I'm aware of these different pieces. But I also think going back to what Rodney was pointing out earlier, employees, if your companies are going through these type of situations, you need to understand the risk and reward in it for you as well. Because,
2: yeah, go ahead. Let me jump in real quick. One, if you're an employee at a startup, try to find out as quickly as possible the character of the executives. That's number one. So if you have the ability to do one on ones with managers or do one on one with someone on the executive team, and like under try to get an understanding of character, I think that when you understand the character, then you know you don't get blindsided by, for example, a layoff because you understand that's in their character. That's not out of character for them. Sometimes you will get blindsided anyway. But the point I'm trying to make is be proactive. And I will say, I do think it's interesting how. Founders have multiple scenarios that I see when a company's not doing well, and in this time, with the market being how it is, a lot of startups. I think I saw eighty percent of startups, right, or like early stage startups right now, have less than twelve months of capital in the bank, which is that's that, that's, that's a terrifying number because we're projecting this. What's home. the number? I can say eighty percent. Eighty percent of founders Sheesh. have less than twelve months of runway, and so that means the competition for for cash is high, and investors are being they're sitting back because because they can yeah. afford to sit back and see a little clear and as opposed to when everything's going fast and and so i'm not gonna lie i will choose my team my direct team who does the work over vcs every single time i will choose my team over vcs every single time vcs are a part of our team but they're not in the same way they 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 don't have that privilege because they don't do the direct work at the end of the day. They don't. They have a portfolio of bets at the end of the day. And so I will tell you now that, I'll tell you how I operate, and I don't, I'm not saying everybody should operate this way, but I will spend every last dollar of investor money to make sure safe will work. I will not return back a dollar. If I don't plan on returning back a dollar, I don't plan on selling and trying to make it a soft landing, I actually don't have that in my mind. I plan to write it all the way out to the last dollar, and that's just my 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 mindset around it. And the reason why is because, for example, if you raise two million dollars, and let's say you have like maybe say you have one lead investor a million, and then another kind of check like two fifty. And then like the next 750 from a various syndicates or angels, et cetera. So a lot of s- smaller checks, right? And let's say you get to you spend one point two of that two million and you're just not in a good spot. Like you're not in the spot you thought you would be. It's very hard to raise. You're not seeing any protection like good revenue that's come anytime soon. Even if you do, it's not gonna pay for your team. That revenue is not gonna be able to continue to keep the company going. Returning the money at that point seems like it to me seems like the risk of just burning it all. And, and the reward, potential reward is better than returning back point, returning back 10, like 5% of somebody's investment, 10% of somebody's investment. Like they, there's no there's no point from my perspective. Now, this is, I'm talking about earlier stage. I'm not talking about if you're a company that has rose towards a million dollars and, bur- and you've burnt through $30 million and you got 170 left in the bank and like you got some trouble ahead, no. You might, the honorable thing to do might, will probably be to get some of that money back. <laughs> okay. Like when I'm talking about early stage where it was already a high risk, already, well, like the mm-hmm. chase that big, you shouldn't be thinking as if like you're like a series uh, C company or a series B, company. like you're not that. You're already, were a high risk to begin with. And everybody that invested in your company knew that. And then, and also you can see that by the dollar amounts they invested. Because mm-hmm. typically speaking, an early stage company is not having a ton of five hundred thousand million dollar checks. That's just not the, that's just not the case for most early stage founders. So I would say personally that the question for founders should be how lean should we go, and or how lean should I go? It depends on if you're a co if you have co founders or you're a single founder or solo, I'm sorry solo founder. Because I've seen people who have had teams and lost their teams, and then. Figure something else out. I've seen people, I've seen all these things and it comes down to, are you willing to be, are you willing to go, are you willing to go back to a team of one? And if you're willing to do that, you're actually extremely powerful as opposed to, for example, you might know, have a team of five people and you want a soft landing and I see that all the time. Look, I would rather fire, lay off those people sooner than later with some type of severance that gives them like a, like a good amount of time to get their act together, to get another position. Maybe two, like like two months or something like that. Maybe a little bit more, and then be prepared to be a solar founder, as if I was the same founder that just had my first twenty five thousand dollars check. If it has to go down to that, but here's the thing: I'll do everything in my power, and ne- like to not to, like to be proactive about it, and never to never
0: be in that situation again. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Man, no, <clears throat> oh y'all give some good gems though, for sure. So hopefully, whoever's listening, founders want be founders. Even investors listening to the gems I just dropped, but switching gears real quick, Rodney, I know you mentioned like there was, at least I saw on the news, there was like the massive train crash in Ohio, but I don't know the details of like exactly what happened, but my wife is from Cincinnati, obviously we're from Detroit, so we border Ohio, right? Ohio is literally 30 minutes from Detroit. 45 minutes from Detroit, so we're right there. And I got married in Ohio, so I got roots in Ohio. So I I saw the the train crash, but I don't know the details. So, fill us in,
2: like, what happened? Yeah, let me just say a couple things. And I'm going to refrain from using a lot of the scientific terms because I just simply don't have the knowledge to pronounce all these these chemicals and whatnot. But what I will say is this there was a, a train in Ohio and it had some very dangerous chemicals, in which case, you know, um, like. When people normally deal with these chemicals, they're wearing like a suit with like oxygen and so to prevent them from actually getting sick and uh, because it's that toxic and this train wrecked and it spilled a lot of these chemicals out and there are a lot of train wrecks every year, but I think this one was unique because of the impact and the result because of the chemicals that they they were transporting. It was such a... For those who haven't seen it I, and i think a lot of people have but if you haven't seen some of the results there there was literally and i think still even right now a huge dark cloud floating in the sky in, in which case they had to evacuate a lot of people and i mm. think that here's the thing at first i don't know how but some media outlet had called it like a bioweapon. so at first i was like oh we like under attack type i thought it was like some worse i'm like i'm like this is this that was a little scary and that, i thought yeah. we're all powerless in those type of scenarios. if somebody pollutes our environment we're done i don't care what you can have a gun in the house it doesn't matter you can have all the security systems if the mm. air toxic you are done and so what these chemicals did was not only did they change a lot of the ecosystem a lot of the animals around in that part died and so the ecosystem is being affected but then not only that but then not only that. There was, I. Uh, if you guys look up, if anybody goes to Google or anything and looks up like some of the cars, like there was some rain and some of the cars had like acid, like there was acid rain. Like it was like, like the metal looked like it was scratched. And I am and it's, imagine, just imagine that. Imagine looking at the place. This is you- wild.
0: I'm looking at some of the pictures. This is crazy.
2: Yeah, imagine- I like, see the clouds you were talking about. Yeah, like, imagine looking at that, like it, it reminded me of a nuclear bomb, but it was worse in my mind because I'm like, these are just like chemicals that like were transporting. Like it's, it's not like a bomb is like more, I don't know. So it, it's a scary thing. And, and yeah, Dre, look, like you said, we have roots, like it's not, Ohio's not too far from, from Michigan, especially like Cincinnati and Detroit. And here's the thing, actually, Detroit actually had a train wreck either today or yesterday with some dangerous chemicals as well, and I'm not going to speculate what exactly is going on there, but people are looking at that as a very coincidental thing that's hap- that just happened to. Dang, see dang that, that headline? I see the headline yeah. about
1: Detroit. Why wow, yes. Yeah, these trains just keep getting derailed. It looks like it was derailed yeah. from the track, yeah. man. That yeah. that does raise yeah. a little bit of a yeah. little suspicion. Trying to like, we ain't trying to put yeah, together a false theory, but I, it does <laughs> make you ask a couple questions.
0: What, what this article from, US, from USA Today was saying was that over the last kind of like decade, trains have been getting a lot of competition from long haul truck drivers. And even a lot of these companies hmm. starting to go to self-driving, they're starting to rely on that because it's a lot cheaper. And so what a lot of these trains have started to do was take on more weight and take on longer loads. And what they were saying was that hmm. tends to increase or make it more difficult for these trains to stop when there are like
2: emergencies. I which... see what's happening. Yeah. What's happening. So they got yeah, that kind of... yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. It reminds me of how, like, for example, the a company might give a truck driver some unreasonable times to deliver like certain things and they're driving these thousand ton fifty million ton trucks on the freeway going ninety miles per hour it reminds me of that aspect where it's like It leads you know, to a crazy accident or something. Exactly. Exactly. That's not good. I clearly. That, I don't. That I, also, I don't feel so good.
1: Yeah, yeah, that actually happened with Boeing. Actually, so those two plane crashes, there were two plane crashes a couple of years ago. One in Ethiopia, and the other one, I believe it was in Indonesia. I believe it was off the coast of Indonesia. There were two brand new Boeing airplanes that crashed and killed hundreds of people. And mm. there was an investigation into that. Plane crashes are not common, especially from an American plane company. There has not there hadn't been a plane crash from an American plane company in a very long time, especially due to mechanical failures. Like America prizes, so on being able to build great planes. But an investigation was launched into Boeing and come to find out like it was a lot of cost cutting and corners that they cut inside Boeing inside that plane's program. And, and it was like email executive chain, like email chains from executives to show communication and skipping safety checks, adding features to the plane and not forcing retraining the pilots because they didn't want it to cost more. All type of sloppy stuff and it cost pe- hundreds of lives. And not only did it cost hundreds of lives, but it cost so much in the, flying, in the air, in the aerial community to the point where like even my wife and I, we had got booked on a flight. I can't remember where we were going. Probably somewhere international. And we had got booked on one of those planes. And we called and was like, "We don't want to get on one of those planes. We literally didn't want to fly on it." I'm mm. like, "I don't care how much it costs. I don't care what we got to do." At that point in time, I was just like, "I just don't trust it." After two plane crashes and all those lies came out. And so my point in bringing that up is like, the for a lot of for a lot of corporations, it's very sad that. They don't see the effects of those micro decisions that they're making. If what you're saying, Brown, is true, those decisions have so many implications that far exceeds that executive. And it's truly sad. And it, and it really goes back to what I said about how America functions and how it operates within business. Because although Boeing did that, and although a lot of these train companies are crashing, like they're probably just going to get a slap on the wrist. And they're just going to keep operating because that's just how American business is. As yeah. us, as the next generation of executives, our responsibility to not run our company in that fashion yeah. because these decisions have real
2: implications. And so, yeah, so it you just took what? my mind
1: to that Boeing thing.
2: So, so you know what? I Actually, I, like, I feel like where this conversation is going. And I'll say this. One, I'll say I hope everybody in the Ohio situation and also in the Michigan situation is getting to a safe place. It looks very scary i would hate to see a very dark cloud if i had a kid i would not know how to explain that to them that is very scary and i hope that there's maybe there's more coverage and they're figuring that out but i do want to talk about something that that dre mentioned about cutting corners and and how that like how people don't realize how it, it affects consumers for example a lot of people this is something that may everybody may not know about but there was a TikTok trend that or challenge where you know basically kids that are just playing around or young teenagers found an exploit in the Kia and Hyundai the Kia cars. boys, yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing though, it went viral, it went viral. And here's the interesting thing though, this kind of started, like, I think, some months ago. And it was like people were just like, they're just most people weren't even doing it for money, they're just taking people's cars or whatnot. But look at the effects. I want to, I want to point out some things real quick so originally hyundai and kia they were they saw the problem but they were trying to offer like a solution but they their solution was like to i forgot which company did this but they're trying to offer a fix, but then charges the consumers for a fix, and it wasn't even like a full blown fix. It was like some type of it was workout. like a Band-Aid. a bandaid. And they, it was almost like they were trying to take the L, but not fully take it. You know what I'm saying? Kind of like, oh, okay, we see the issue, mm. but we're not gonna we're not gonna come out of our pockets. And basically, it was an issue with the ignition. Right? There's most of these cars; they have an actual physical key, and there's a workaround that you can get. You can get into them, and then you can turn the car on without having the actual key. And um, and so it went viral and it sprung up again. But here's the reason why I'm bringing this up. One, I can tell you I'm bringing this up because somebody that I know that's close to me, their car got broken into because it was a Hyundai car and mm-hmm. they could not start their car the next day. Now, what's interesting was actually, one, before I even say it what's interesting, that is you hear about a TikTok challenge like that and you're like, oh, these is reckless. This TikTok, like the information spreads and then it happens right in front of you, right in front of your house. And you realize damn this is that this is serious this is actually a real serious issue and i'm like this person was just sharing with me some of the details around around the car and like the tick tock challenge and cutting corners and saving costs have a lot to do with why these cars are not safe right now and mm. to, to let people know here's some of the impact too i think there's been over a dozen injuries actually there's been over a dozen a, there's been over a dozen car crashes because of the people stealing these cars, doing joy rides or whatever. And then there's also been about, I think, eight deaths in association with, the, with these specific cars and models because these people are crashing and they're just being reckless. But a lot of times they're young kids on TikTok or something. And I say kids loosely, like teenagers, you guys know what I'm saying. And not only that, there's been a lot of people who just got their cars broken into it to the point where there's there, have been, there has been some insurance companies trying to get people who have these cars off their plans because, because the problem is that bad it just recently some part of the government i'm not sure which part it has demanded these automakers to come out with some like a solution basically and the here's the issue though the I, and this is me speaking for somebody that i know their concern no longer is about fixing the car anymore because one one all the parts are back ordered to fix it they're all ordered for months like everybody like people cannot get these parts and i don't know how many cars there are of these models but it seems to be a lot another thing is you don't want to be the car that looks like. You don't want to be. You don't want to be the. You don't want to be driving the car that people think they can break into. Even if they can't. <laughs> like, even if they can't, you don't want to be that car that people think they can break into. You just don't. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so now, I, and I just brought that up because when we were just talking about cutting costs and cutting corners, that's exactly what happened with these automakers. And when they first had the opportunity to do something about it they tried to do another step around so that they wouldn't really take a big loss about it. So that by charging consumer for a fix that they ultimately are responsible for, you know what I'm saying? And so- That's crazy. Yeah, and the fact that the government had to step in, and I'll be honest, I don't know what the CEOs of the companies are doing or whatnot, but I can tell you, I do believe that there are times when CEOs are doing these shortcuts and stuff like that. At the same time, I often think that a lot of times some CEOs may not be doing it, but they have not created a culture where people feel comfortable coming to them with issues. And when mm-hmm. there are certain issues that are happening, the lower level, lower level piece level parts of the organization trying to handle it. And a lot of times they fumble it because they don't have the context of what the CEO has. So they're trying to just make sure that they keep their job. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's a self-preservation thing.
0: Now that's a very good point. One thing I wanted to say too, cause you, you were hitting on like the government and like cars, but also it ties into this theme of taking shortcuts. Have y'all been paying attention to the SEC's investigation into Tesla, specifically Elon Musk comment around their capabilities related to like full self-driving?
1: I saw the article, but I haven't really read into the story. No,
2: no I haven't. Before you say something, Brad, I want to say something like about self-driving real quick. By the way, I just recently got a, a Model X. I love it. It's a great car. I guess it's one of the like one of the safest cars. Really cool. Sometimes too advanced. Like I, I get stumbled because like it does things automatically, and I'm like trying to do it manually, and it's, it's fucking up my flow. But <laughs> what I want to say is that when you're when you're talking about the trains, and then also the trucks, I couldn't help but think I can't wait until like these Tesla trucks or whatever automatic trucks come out because I'm telling you. Like it's the speed of everything. Is, I think it's going to get worse and the safety is going to go mm. down. I think that that's actually a serious problem and safety is going to be something that everybody starts thinking about more. Go ahead though.
0: Now we need to unpack that. We need to unpack that because there's a few things I got questions about. Just given like our recent conversations around like AI and the impact on society and things like that. But nah, the thing about Tesla, so they just recall 362,000 cars today. And essentially what Tesla came out and said is basically regulators have been putting a lot of on them because regulators found that their vehicles can act unsafe around intersections and cause crashes. And so Tesla is basically, they have a recall out right now on their Model S all the way up to their 23, 2023 version they Model X, Model 3, and Model Y. So basically any of those models with self-driving, they just made this announcement. But yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. A recall is basically them just like admitting, hey, there's a fault and they're going to do something. So that would be a good example of – Yeah, I think
1: it's just like a formality and like <clears throat> manufacturing law in America, like with products in general. Like food, Like food companies do that. When there's a problem in the food product baby like baby like a couple of years ago baby strollers was getting recalled because of some child safety issue or something like that i don't know exactly what the threshold is i think it varies based on industry but it's not i don't think it's really uncommon for cars to get recalled at least gotcha. like i'm from detroit from detroit the motor city right so we like work where you literally have ford gm and chrysler there so yeah. for us like recalls and stuff like that in the auto industry is just like it not that it happens all the time, but like when you live in a city with the three biggest automakers, you, it's just going to be a, it's just going to be a part of life. So I don't know if it's too crazy I, for me. And maybe I'm just super biased. I think Tesla is like the one, one of many like companies that I deeply trust, man. I, I really think like mm-hmm. this technology and they're getting a lot of heat about the technology from regulators, which they should, right. Cause I think that's regulators job is to help protect consumers. And so if they aren't doing, if they are not doing that, then they aren't doing their job right. So I, this isn't like regulators' fault. They should be adding pressure and should be making sure things are safe. 100% agree with that. But I do think Tesla is getting a lot of a bad press and a lot of criticism of their self-driving technology, which is probably rightfully given. But I, I think, too, what needs to be said is that this is an incredibly difficult problem. And there are like some problems if we think about like complexity spectrum, right? That are like let's say like the max complexity is like far to the right, right? And ease of complexity is to the left, right? I'm not saying this is all the way to the right, but it's damn near there. Like it is a very difficult problem to do and it's something that we've never done before at scale. And so I think just as a society we should definitely be critical of new technology, but I think in general, we should be empathetic and approach it with empathy with new technology. And again, some technology has catastrophic effects. If these cars are crashing and killing people, that's a whole different thing. And that should, then that's a very sensitive thing, but in that still. It is, I believe, a very transformational technology. But again, I don't want the complexity to escape people. And it's not consumer's job to think about the complexity. But I do think it is as a person that is part technical and a person that sits at the intersection of technology, business, and product and marketing, just where I sit in the world, I think it is our responsibility to try to translate some of these things. And so I think it's important for people to understand this is not a trivial problem. This is a very complicated and complex problem. That requires so many other things to be working in tandem to do like it's computing, it's hardware, it's software, it's so much stuff there. And uh, so again, while I think the criticism is is deserved, and I think it should be had at least by regulators, but I think the public should just approach it with a little bit of a, a little bit of grace because we're dealing with something that is brand new and is very difficult to execute on.
2: Yes, 100%. I'm with you on the greatest part. As you were talking, I actually started thinking, yes, 100% is not the consumer's job to know how complex it is. At the same time, it is, I do, I agree with you that we can help educate and you know, some of the difficulties that these companies have. And then that also led me to another thought where kind of seems the lack of empathy could simply just be most people are unaware of. This, how the system that they live in on a day-to-day was built. Their curiosity was in other places. Whereas, for example, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, as somebody that I've, I've been engineering my whole entire life since high school, and I've always been curious, and even before that, I was always curious about how things worked, the actual things behind it. And and I think about things like, oh, at some point, they had to create these landlines. At some point, they had to create these, these roads. At some point, and I think when... I think that most people, even I know that I'm not even aware of everything that I use on database day to day that like how it was built, who made it. But the point I'm trying to make is that the general thing that I see is that we get born into a world with that's already created for us. And like when people are introducing change, they don't know how change look to even get things that we have right now. And I think even like when we think about, I forgot the number, but for example, when they were building like one of the bridges in New York, there was, a, I believe there was a lot of people that died in the process of building that. Not saying mm-hmm. it's right or anything like that, but obviously as we see today, yeah, those bridges, like those are important bridges for transportation. And it's, I think that there does need to be heat. does need to be attention to Dre's point. At the same time, the empathy part. Uh, another thing is that- Let me ask this question. Because I do agree
0: that empathy is important, but there's Tesla, but when people think of this self-driving car, obviously they're thinking of AI, a robot, like a system, right? And so it's very, I feel like it's very easy to have empathy for other people when people are trying to do something just because there's that people are made up of the same thing but now that you have this man versus machine and you're asking man to have empathy
2: for this machine is it even possible because they're made up of totally different things yes it's possible it's possible let me explain why let me explain why. okay i think at the highest level that i can think of not trusting ai and not trusting a machine is equivalent to not trusting ourselves and i think that most people have a difficulty trusting that the person in front of them is not gonna just look out for just themselves, but they'll also look out for both like for both people. And so I think there's when it comes to trust, I think it's deeper than the machine because I still see a lack of trust with just regular people to people relationships all across the world. And and so the machine is an easy the machines that we build are nothing but reflections of us. They're not they're nothing more reflections like they're just reflections of us at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And you don't trust certain for example people might not trust some of open ai's technology but at the end of the day people made that technology and it's based on things that people said on the internet and now granted yes we had to be they had to be scrutinized to so that they get pushed more so people have like the ability to see a little bit more in the background there's transparency but at the end of the day you say you say you don't trust like an open ai or Bing or whatever you're just saying you don't trust that like those the people those people because it's not the thing itself is it's just a manifestation. It's an abstraction, it's an abstraction yeah. of the people. Yeah, it's an abstraction of the people, exactly. I actually saw a tweet earlier today where it was like, Chat GPT is like a huge, it's like a mirror or something. And that's true. I think actually, like, technology has been a mirror before that. Like, mm. I just think that every level, we're getting more clarity and insight on, like, the realities that we live in. And it's very mm. difficult. The world that we're heading to, I think, is basically almost like, damn near turning like a light switch on and we've been turning this light switch on for probably millions of years in the human evolution but this is like one of those moments where it's like it's not gradual it's like jumps are coming and like everybody wasn't planning for they all oh, for example was like in some ways like waking up you cut the lights on they're like they, like Why, mm-hmm. what are you doing and it's i think it's kind of like that it's like people was like is operating at a certain level of darkness and they didn't they, they the, to cut the switch on it's like oh, shit this is like this is I was we weren't ready for that. Let me ask you all this philosophical question cuz this is something I'm
0: curious about be, because earlier Rodney you brought up that just people lack are people lack a general understanding of how the systems and structures that make up our society actually like work. What role Yeah, so so playing off this idea that these AI systems and computers and machines are just representations of ourselves. if we don't under if we don't understand those machines what does that tell us when it comes to understanding ourselves and what do we have to look forward to we know very
2: little about ourselves let's be real mm. we know very little about ourselves let's be real like in a real sense not in just like a based on like the knowledge that we are capable of learning because of whatever we read or what's available but like in the actual literal sense like we know very little about ourselves it's just that's clear I mean, that, that, that's, when you
0: say I, that, are you talking about just like mentally, emotionally, biologically? Like, what do you mean? The whole
2: thing, the whole thing. How fast is your heart beating right now? You know, what I'm saying, like, at what level mm-hmm. are you? Are you at what level are you perceiving the world? Are you perceiving the world completely clear today? Every day we work with a slightly different shift in perception. Are you aware of how those are different? I would sit here and say that most people don't have a clue who they actually are, and also like it also, but it depends on like the levels you we're talking about. I'm talking about at the highest level you know most people don't know who they are like at the highest level but i guess there's levels to consciousness i guess that's mm. there's levels to consciousness for example you can start being more conscious of how your actions affect other people for example you might know yourself in that way but what are your tendencies to do for example some people have compulsions right where i saw like this one video this guy he's a narcissist and he was like it sucks being my friend because no matter what he's saying i'm always waiting for that moment to switch it back to myself and he's i'm always and he's like you know what i have some good friends though that will tell me like, hey, look, like, just give me a second and you'll have a minute to to go on. And so he has those, he does have friends. What what I thought was interesting, though, is that he was saying that it's a compulsion, though. Like, he does not want to be like that, but he, that's just like, how he. And so I just said it to say, in that case, that's just that's self awareness. But, you know, what was driving that compulsion is in the dark. It's not clear where, where that comes from. Why, like, how can, could I ever be modified? Could I ever be changed? I feel like, like when you ask this question, for me, my mind can go to multiple different levels. But what? but I, I was, this is what I would say to most people. If people were to say, do I know myself? I would say, start with no. Mm. I would say, start with no. I would say, start with no. And I think if you start with yes. I think you're a little. I think you might be arrogant. You might be arrogant. You might not be. But if you say, if so, if you, if you like, I don't care what you, like, if I ask you, do you know yourself, Brian, I don't care what you tell me. All I care about is what you tell yourself at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? I don't care about what you tell everybody else. At the end of the day, when you're by yourself, nobody else is around, and you got either your notebook open or your laptop open or you're just looking up at the ceiling, and you ask yourself, "Do no, I know myself. I think if you're a person that says yes, you might be you might be causing some pain out here. You might be hurting people. You might be doing some things un- unintentionally. You might be perceived a certain way that you weren't aware of. We all have blind spots. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? That's why, like I said like, I said on another podcast, when you're driving a car, yeah, you got your left and right mirror, you have your rear view mirror, but they still tell you, look in your blind spot when you're about to do a lane change. Look in your blind spot. And that's acknowledging that you have a blind spot. It's just that simple. Like, it, it's, and it's like that in every avenue. So that's how I look at it. Yeah. No, that's, that's
0: fascinating. Go ahead, Dre.
2: Yeah, I would say to answer your question.
1: There's a quote like that: "Art imitates life," which I tr- I, tr- I truthfully believe. And so, from that regard, to Rodney's point, we don't know ourselves. And I would just put it simply as we just don't un- even understand how the brain works. There's so many functions of the brain that we just simply don't understand. Like we just can't explain it. And so mm-hmm. that's the biggest, probably one of the biggest limitations of our ability to create. Right? Is that we don't, and at least to, in order to try to model. Like that's one of the biggest limitations in us actually building true general artificial intelligence is that if we try to model it after our own brain we're limited in our ability to do that because we only know so much about our own brain so we can't actually do that because we don't even understand how the thing we're trying to model even works we literally just don't and so i just think that's just the reality and so to to ronnie's point i think like when people don't trust the technology i think it's just a really a reflection of they don't trust the people that's making the technology because even Mm. in the case of artificial intelligence and these machines that can produce things they are working within the constraints of of humans right like working within the constraints of what we tell it to work within right like for example like i was reading something about like google's large language models they have internal policies that engineers have to follow and so that automatically puts constraints around how that ai can respond to certain questions for example how do you respond to questions about religion how do you respond to questions about x or y right so th- these are just these those constraints that are just in in place and so I think that's just the case as well when we started talking about the, our limitations of just like understanding the human brain. I just don't think we understand it. And I don't think we – I don't ever want to say we never will. I hope – my hope though is that what AI really enables is it really creates a distance between human knowledge and the unknown, right? Like mm-hmm. a bridge between that because I think right now up until this point in humanity, we have been functioning based on what we know right? And what we can do and what we can prove. And that has been great, but that obviously is limiting, right? And so I'm hopeful that what machine learning and AI and what, what it really is able to do is really create that bridge between what we know today and what we don't know. And like when that happens and that starts to close, then I think it's even, it's hard to even what that looks like, because I think we unlock a whole nother level of life, a whole nother level of information that we just simply were limited to today.
0: No, a hundred percent. It's almost moving from this paradigm of uncertainty where every decision, you don't know the outcome or probability or the likelihood of it being right or wrong to now in a world of AI, the system is doing the math for you already to give you the most probable kind of like response or decision and things of that. And so I guess I'm just very curious on how people think about these things, because this is the world we're living in and it's just evolving into if trust is predicated on knowing yourself so you can better understand others in an ai first world what are some different areas of the self y'all would just be curious about like understanding more and what would just be some other areas of just like ai in general y'all would just be curious about learning more about in order to build or even just help people out there who may not have that similar relationship, just build that trust between you and machine over time.
2: I'm just curious if y'all have any questions, y'all would just be answering. I think I think the trust naturally comes. I think I think it's just new. I don't think there's anything in particular anybody anybody has to do because the forces are too strong towards this direction of where the world is going. I don't think there's anything that anybody needs to really do. It, 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 the box is open. You can't put it back in. The genie is out of the bottle. So I don't think there's anything. Like sometimes, for example, I'll be like we start describing some of the challenges of the future. For example, jobs being lost and all these other different things that or AI is turning against and stuff like that. I think it's just better to not look at it as I don't trust the machines. Look at it like, look if, the, if there's a good chance these machines are coming, there's a good chance that all these things are going to happen. Now what? I think it's just, I just think I think it's just better to think like that. And I think because I just think that. You're not gonna get anywhere just saying, "Oh, I don't trust those machines." Okay, you don't trust the internet. First of all, imagine there are people today that still don't trust the internet. You know what I'm saying? So, like in this AI now, you can say all day, but at the end of the day, there's gonna be a point in which case ad- adaptation is gonna be required. Like so you're not gonna have a choice. Either you're gonna have to adapt, or you're not going to adapt, and that's gonna be that simple. And if you and you have that choice, like adapt. Basically, I read in 50 Cents the Hustle Harder book. Hustle Smart. Evolve or Die. Evolve mm-hmm. or Die. I'm, and actually it reading have that,
1: to be... I'm actually reading that right now, low-key. It's funny. Yeah, I'm reading I am reading just, it, I started no, it yesterday, actually.
2: I just, bro, bro, I just picked it up last week, bro. <laughs> bro, I love no. it, bro. It's such a good book, man. No, What's bro. the name of the book again? <laughs> Yo, it's, uh... I got a cop I just got a library card, so no. I'm in the library hard, bro. No, you know, it's called, I forgot. Just type in 50 Cent and audiobooks audiobook. i think it's hustle like, harder
1: or some hustle something but it's, yeah it's, hustle it's smart hustle harder
2: play. like what which yeah. i don't know what your order what order it is but i'm not gonna lie my a good friend of ours dre Rick, my, mark he recommended this a while okay. ago like, some years ago and i'm like i was like then i, I texted. i was like, i should take heed to that i should teach that all right because <laughs> there's some moves he made with his shows that he was talk- like recently that he's talking about in the book he made like four or five years ago like, and I'm looking at the shows, I'm like, oh, he been new. This was all about to happen. Like, yeah. he been new. So, yeah, it's a good book. It's funny. When you nah, were mentioning I appreciate sure you When you were mentioning it, adapt or die or
1: adapt or just get lost in it. It reminds me of a funny conversation I was having with my aunt like years ago and she was like i'm never gonna learn how to text she's texting is dumb i'm never <laughs> gonna get on that and i was like are you serious it's so easy i'm like this is like where it's going this is like texting is about to be the thing this is like right <laughs> when the iphone came out and everything i'm like like people are doing that and by, by the way it, people it's hard for the current generation to remember this but like at one point in time you have to pay per text and so Texting wasn't as back and forth as it is (laughs) right now. Like, people were limited. People were like, I'm not going to text because I got to pay for that shit. I'd rather pick up the phone and call you than send a text because I got to pay for that. So, Mm -hmm. at some point, that wasn't a thing. And then texting became like the next thing. But prior to that, she was like, I'm never going to text. I'm never going to get it. Obviously, that has changed. And so, I think what you're saying is spot on. Like, you either adapt or die. Like, people will learn to adapt. And that's just what it is, man. Mm -hmm.
2: Yes, yeah. One of the things I would like to, like maybe machine could tell me because they have a contact. Maybe machine can give me this answer or, or help or inspire me to think in the right direction. I don't understand why certain people cannot or refuse to evolve. Like, for example, like I sit back and I hear this story Dre telling and I can, I think about all my times I've had to tell my family similar things. I'm like, the fact that we have to struggle to tell these simple, like, and these very simple, like, things, like send a text. It's no big deal. The Sanitex, trust me, you don't want to miss out on that. You don't want to, <laughs> not me in that. Like go on Google, okay? It's not like, it's okay to ask a question. It won't kill you. Like, it's just, if I were to ask a machine, I'm like, why, it, like, I, if I were to ask a machine or an AI, like, what I would be most interested in is how to get a message across. I think, and the only thing that I think of is like brain inter- interfaces, like direct, like damn near telepathic, but I think, I truly believe that if we could get messages across like with extreme clarity, I think the world would be very different. I think, like- par- I think part of the problem is
0: if you suffer long
2: enough, it becomes
0: comfortable. And the reason the reason why I think that's important to understand is I was listening to this neuroscientist talk about the idea of like dopamine, right? We always talk about these dopamine effects people get that make them feel good. And the way he looked at dopamine from a neuroscience perspective was the they've basically found that the amount of dopamine that is released is equal to the distance between the actual event and your expectation. So if your expectation was low and the actual experience that you had was way more than what you expected, it's gonna be a lot of dopamine. And the reason why I think that's very important to understand is like going back, using that as an example, if people have suffered long enough That experience is just becoming something that they're used to. And we've seen it with trauma. People, it's not that people may be comfortable, but it is what it is. That is just a general attitude. So when I think back to meeting people where they are, when it comes to like Communicating like, hey, no, nigga, you need to adapt or you will die. Exactly,
2: exactly. Yeah, yeah,
0: I don't. I'm not saying I know how to do that, but I think it would just be understanding that people going back to to what y'all were saying earlier about blind spots. You don't know what you don't know, and so you don't know how this is going to make you suffer now, versus like later. And it's, yes. yeah, it's yeah. hard.
2: I'm not gonna lie. One thing I can say is I love to learn and i'm a big fan of knowledge and i'm a big fan of using tools i'm a big fan of making tools and giving tools to other people right. and can i believe those are what gives people the ability to reduce their suffering and also protect themselves and i think um if it was up to me like if it was up to me i would flip a switch and get people like to be all, everybody to be able to receive and send messages to each other and it, well, i don't even care what the medium is more clear way this- like, just more clear way yeah this is just one of my
0: last questions, cause I'm curious about it. Cause y'all are talking about suffering. So in a world, basically we're, we're going to be living in this AI world. Things are going to be more certain because the AI is doing all the complicated math to identify the patterns and et cetera, et cetera. Content and a range of things are going to be more abundant. Think about time low key can be abundant if AI is doing work on your behalf and an abundant
2: world, what does suffering look like? I do think part of suffering is inaction though. I do think part of suffering is inaction. Not saying that you got to be restless, but I was actually thinking about this the other day. I do think basically being in a, you know, everybody has a life, right? And typically speaking, if you imagine everybody's life, like they're sitting at a desk, everybody has things on their desk and, and it is a bunch of papers on your desk and it's just assume the papers are either goals or challenges or just things that we want or desires, whatever or certain situations. And it's up to us to organize that desk. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that when you sit in your, at the desk and you just sit there, then you know, you just, I think that, I think, I, I just, there's something about that. that I think it, there's just some suffering. I don't think you can just exist. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I do see a world where there's gonna be an abundance of time. And I think that's absolutely great. But one thing I do also think is, I think the people before us or the founders before us, whether it's the founders of this country or the founders of the first societies ever made, I think they understood the idea that people need to work and people need to do something. They have to do something. Like I, I don't know that I don't know exactly what suffering looks like per se, but I would just say in a world where there's an abundance of time, people just need to fill their time with other stuff. But maybe they're not necessarily focused on like the basic needs. I think I think before we couldn't figure out how to make people do things unless they like had to work, unless they had to unless they had to work for their needs. Basically, when I look at like the current system, it seems look, hey. You gotta work, not because, you know, you want to work, but because if you don't work, you won't have a place to live. You won't be able to eat. You won't be able to pay for this. You won't be able to do this. So you better work. And so to me, it seems like the incentive is, hey, look, I won't have all this, so I gotta work. And so that that leads to a lot of issues, obviously. There is a potential in the future where we, all the actual, like that type of work or the work, the survival work, it will create a different, it will create a different world. It's very, uh, it's too big for this podcast to go create a different world when like, But I do think we need to get to a base level of safety for pretty much everybody in the world. I think we need to get to a base level of food for everybody in the world. I think we need a base level of shelter and or for as much people as we possibly can. And I think that when those things start to happen, people will naturally, either they'll just just consume and just just self-destruct basically, or they'll produce. They'll produce and consume. But yeah.
1: Well said well said. I think we should. Uh, yeah, we should probably wrap it up. We're at time anyway. All right, guys. I'll save. Right, I'll save I my topic for the next episode. All right,
0: y'all. Bye,